for me, I think it, it really is to embrace your mistakes. I think people have always told me what to do and, and that, uh, you know, some of the decisions I've made are mistakes in life. I've actually found that if you embrace them and, and use them as an opportunity for learning, you'll always find that you're exactly where you're meant to be. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 593. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton. And today I am thrilled to introduce you to DJ Chang. DJ is the president and CEO of Equity Insights and also the author of First Mistake. Oh my gosh, DJ, I can't believe I just got that all out without tongue twisting at all. But thank you so much for joining me today. I know you've had quite the journey and I'm excited for you to share with the listeners. But for those who haven't heard of you before, would you mind taking them down a little journey of, you know, memory lane and let them know how you got to where you are today. Sure. Thanks again for having me. I had been working in the biopharmaceutical industry for the past 20 years in a successful career as a middle manager, doing very well. But I had this nagging sense that I was meant to be doing something else. And I had started a memoir 20 years before, actually before I even got my career in the biopharma industry. And I just kept feeling like I needed to finish it. And so I ended up leaving that career, trying my hand as a social purpose entrepreneur, but especially finishing my memoir. And it's really a story that spans 40 years, but it's mainly about my experience with my life partner who was diagnosed with AIDS in 1986. Wow. Well, first off, I want to go back to what you just said about social purpose entrepreneur. I've never heard that expression before. Mm. I might have to borrow it because I absolutely love it. Yeah. That's fabulous. I've been using solepreneur or uh -huh. purposepreneur, mm. but I love social purpose. Yeah, I found it actually working with the lawyer who helped me set up my new company and my LLC. And he had been using that term. And it seemed really to make sense for me because I didn't, I wanted to start a new business, but I wanted to do it in a way that was going to make a difference in the world and, and feed my soul, I guess, uh, as you were saying. So the business that I've been working on is to try to really try to create economic opportunity in rural America uh, through innovation and entrepreneurship, looking at green technologies and helping the environment, but also serving underserved populations like the disabled, like my wife. And we invented what we've trademarked as the grabber done, which is a cane and grabber in one. She actually had a stroke back in 1986, where she walks with a cane. But then like it was about nine years ago now, uh, she had a hip replacement on her actual good side, the side that wasn't paralyzed. And so she wasn't able to bend down for several months. And while she was in rehab, she needed to have a grabber as well as the cane. And, you know, she only has use of one hand. So I kept looking at what they gave her, which was a Velcroed grabber onto her cane and said, you know, I think I could do better. <laughs> and so we came up with the grabber done. So that's something that we're, we're hoping to mass produce and, get out to the public. 
but I'm also looking at, you know, trying to find alternatives to plastic waste and plastic single use uh, products and looking at agricultural waste like uh, rice husks or seaweed or other things that are biodegradable and won't uh, harm the environment and won't fill up our landfills and our oceans. Oh my gosh, DJ, you need to come visit me here in Ohio. <laughs> I am in the middle of a lot of farm country. My 13-year-old a couple months ago asked me to drive him to a roller skating rink one town north. I got to be totally honest, I didn't even realize the rink was there. But on the way home, and this town, one town north, has a lot of struggles. It's very blue collar. Mm -hmm. People just doing whatever they have to do to get by. A lot of drug and alcohol issues. And what amazed me on my way home was that the route that Google Maps or my iPhone took me on was right past where a new solar farm was going up. And maybe this is judging very unfairly. But I was surprised that the town, the people of the town had actually passed it because it's a town of struggle Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to, it has to be funded some way. And I'm sure it is being paid for by tax dollars. And it just really surprised me, but at the same time gave me a lot of hope. And my town could use the same thing. We have this huge recycling plant, but I just looking at my street on Fridays when we have to put our garbage and recycling cans out. I'm always surprised at how many of the homes only put out the garbage can yeah. that's provided. But I want to circle back before we even jump into that. I want to thank you for what you're doing to help people who are disabled. And I love the keen idea. My husband was in the U.S. Air Force and he he was an Air Force structural maintenance man. And he was working on a jet for 10 hours one day. And when he sat up, he just felt the shooting pain and he passed out. Hmm. And what he found out was that he had ruptured one disc and herniated another. Uh. And that was over a decade ago. It's gotten to the point now. I mean, we have four-year-old twins and a five-year-old who love to climb all over the data and he wants to pick them up, but it's just Mm -hmm. too much pain. And then when he drops something, I mean, he's not even 40, but it pains him. It is so hard for him to bend over to pick it up without experiencing, you know, just breathtaking pain. So you got to let me know where I can get one of your canes because, sure. I mean, I'm sure it probably already looks cool, but He's a little gangster and he'll probably want to do something cool to it. But yeah, that would be so great for him because I mean, the hair bands, my little girls have long hair. He'll be putting yeah. the hair band on that hair band will fly. And yeah, he's too proud to ask other people to help him. But just seeing mm-hmm. the wince on his face, you know, when he has to bend over and get it himself. I don't want to see it. I don't want to yeah. see it. I want him to yeah. feel like he can still do it. Yeah, that's why my wife actually, she was the one who named the cane as the grabber done because she actually comes from her kin, as she calls it, came from Appalachia in, in um, the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains in Alabama. And they used to say, you know, get her done all the time. And that's why, it, you know, when she wanted to name the cane, she was like, I want to have some independence. I want to not have to ask people to help me all the time. And so I want to get her done and and grab her done. (laughs) So that's why we named the cane that. Oh my gosh, I'm laughing over here. The town that he is from is, okay, I might get some haters off of this, but I'm just going to put it out there. It's Springfield, Ohio, but we actually Uh call it Spring Tucky. Uh (laughs) I totally get it. I mean, we have a little bit of ghetto and a lot of the hick. 
So put the mm-hmm. two together and yeah, get her done is totally part of our house. Just get her mm-hmm. done. Well, you just yeah. like talking to our kids about the chores. He's like, get her done. Yeah. Just get her done. Yeah. I totally get it. So you were in biopharma and you were doing that for decades, but then you had a realization that you also needed to take care of yourself. Now, was that really just following your soul's purpose and that nagging feeling in your heart that you needed to do something else? Or was there like a struggle with self-care and really, and I'm not saying that there's a difference because sometimes following your heart's purpose is a form of self-care, but was there more going on? Yeah, I mean, there absolutely was more going on. And, you know, even though I started the book more than now it's a quarter century ago, it actually starts with a death, with the death of my caregiver when I was nine years old. And he was a actual servant of my grandfather who took care of my father's family and in his old age came to live with my family in his retirement. And he would babysit for us occasionally. And one night he was babysitting for my brother and I, and he had a heart attack and died. And it was something, it affected me. And that's, you know, I start the book with that. And he actually becomes sort of my life spirit guide as I struggle through life and make choices. Uh, you know, he was the one whose spirit I would talk to, to help me, you know, make the decisions and live with the choices I'd made. And at this time when I was kind of near the end of my career and, you know, really a great, great company, I was struggling and and I didn't even know what was going on. I was working with an executive coach who was helping me figure out, you know, how to get to the next level in my career, if that's, you know, what, what I wanted. And all I would do when I would meet with her would cry. And she actually helped me see that I was probably struggling with PTSD. And uh, so this feeling like I was letting down my, I had a staff of, I think, about 10 or 12 people at that time. And I felt like I was potentially going to have to let some of them go and that I wasn't going to be able to save them. It was just eating on me. And I think she helped me realize that the fact that I, you know, even in my kind of naive nine-year-old self thought that I could have saved my caregiver, that's the feeling that was coming up when I was thinking about not being able to save my team. And it just, it made me realize that I needed to deal with that. And I wanted to address that issue with myself. And I also wanted to understand, you know, how that influenced my life. You know, one of the things I think I I realized is that as much as my determination to save my wife was successful, you know, some of that came out of uh, feeling like I hadn't been able to save the person who was so important to me at nine. I can't even tell you how powerful what you just shared is. And from both my personal standpoint and also from my husband's story. Now, my husband is my second husband. So there was a lot that happened before we got together, but he is a self-professed saver. Every relationship that he got into before me was an effort to save somebody from themselves. I mean, there was a line of like drug addicts who he thought he could save. Mm-hmm. But what it did was send him down his own bad paths and he was not a drug addict, but there were definitely not good decisions made during that time. And I have personally been on a path in my entrepreneurial journey since 2012 of trying to save my clients, taking on their financial hardship as my financial hardship, working for less than I should have been working for, and then making their financial hardship mine. And while we want I mean, you know, the soul, the social purpose entrepreneur, while we want to do good 
and help everybody, there comes that point where we have to realize that first we need to start helping ourselves. Yeah, I think for me, it was almost debilitating. I felt like I was letting my team down. I was letting myself down. And it wasn't, it was definitely not healthy. And I needed to take that time to see how to help myself at that point. And and to realize that, you know, there comes a point when you have to realize that, you know, sometimes you're not able to save everyone or everything as much as you may may want to. And sometimes it's enough just to to make an effort, but realize that you may not have control over everything. Absolutely. That is such a hard thing to let go of, though. So Mm -hmm. hard. And I still struggle with it on a daily basis. Yeah. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs do. I build funnels and do marketing automation for my clients. And I I have a struggle with clients sometimes who think when I build it, they will come. Mm -hmm. But it's more than that. Yes, the funnel's built, but you still need to drive traffic. Right. There's just a lot more. I wanted to take a quick break from today's episode and ask you if you need to take a break from your business. Maybe you're working too many hours. Maybe you're trying to work on too many things. Maybe you have too many clients who just really aren't aligned with your greater purpose. If this sounds like you, I want to offer you an opportunity to join the Positive Productivity Pod, my monthly mentorship and coaching community. For only a dollar, you can jump in, get started, and enjoy 10 days in the community where you will meet so many awesome entrepreneurs. And then twice a month, you'll be able to hop on a live call with all of us and get the feedback that you need in that very moment for your business. If you're interested in starting today for only a dollar, head on over to thekimsutton.com forward slash pod to get started. What did your journey out of corporate and into your business look like? Was it immediate? Were there years in between? Would you mind sharing a little bit of that? Yeah. I mean, as soon as I left my company, I knew that I wanted to, you know, finish my book and I wanted to start this business. I wasn't sure how it would look or what exactly was going to happen. I knew that I wanted to create the grabber done. I knew that that was something I had the idea I had about five years earlier, but I'd never prototyped it. So I went through that process of prototyping it and getting a a trademark for it. Would you mind sharing a little bit before we keep on going? What does Mm -hmm. that look like? Because I know you have listeners eyebrows raised like, hmm, I wonder Mm -hmm. if I could actually make my product, you know, a real thing. How grueling is that? Yeah, so prototyping it was not that hard. I actually I went to my cousin who's tinkers in his garage. He actually has, you know, invented a lot of different products related to bicycling. And so I just asked him if he could help me with this idea I had. And so we just spent a couple hours in his garage and you know, I had a cane, I had the grabber and I told him my ideas and and it took a couple iterations. You know, we had one where the string didn't go through the cane itself. And then we updated it so that we could actually run the string through the cane. And so, I mean, it was kind of a fun process. And then, you know, how to improve it, how to maybe put a lock on it so that the grabber device doesn't get caught on things. And so I did actually file a patent or a exploratory patent for use, but I realized that there are some other products that are actually similar or that perform a similar function. So I went the route of of actually doing a trademark. So that's where the name became so important to it. 
Thank you so much for sharing. I have never been down that path before. And I don't know that I will, but I love, I love hearing about things that other people are doing. So thank you. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a fun process. And so I actually, you know, I created the company, kind of this umbrella company for myself, which is Equity Insights. And that's spelled equity, like has dual purposes, like kind of talking about equality and justice. And then Insights, which is spelled I-N-C-I-T-E-S, which is more of actually also fighting for justice and fighting for quality. So that was sort of the idea of the social purpose entrepreneurship and company that I created for the Grabber Done itself is located in Appalachia, where we actually have a property in West Virginia. And so that kind of fits in with that story of the Grabber Done and trying to to help people in West Virginia with new industries and new innovation and kind of new different types of manufacturing products that may be not related to coal or things that are not as positive for the environment. So I was an interior architect and I know a lot of the carpet mills that we went to, like when we were invited to go on tours and the carpet factories would pay for us. A lot of those were even in Western Virginia. And being in Ohio, West Virginia is a hop, skip and a jump away from me. And my ex-husband actually had family in Virginia, just outside of D.C., so we would drive over there, too. It's only a five-hour drive, so not bad at all. But it was just always so amazing to me to see the same country, but just how things change. I love what you're doing because, I mean, even though the Dayton area is very blue-collar, I had no idea until our first trip over to Virginia through West Virginia how some people in the States are still living. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've lived in big cities. I lived in Chicago. I lived in New York, but it's just a whole different level. And I, I know I'm stereotyping here. I don't mean to stereotype, but a whole different level of poverty that I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned recycling in your community, but in my part of West Virginia, we actually don't even have recycling. I mean, you can recycle maybe at the Walmart, but most people just throw their you know, recyclables in their trash and, and it just goes into a landfill Wow! and probably eventually ends up in the oceans. So that's where, you know, my other products that I'm looking at, we're, we're looking at, you know, plastic alternatives and using things like rice husks, which are just agricultural waste can actually make a difference and they're biodegradable and won't fill up our landfills and our oceans. Okay, so I will never profess to know everything on this podcast or in life because there is a whole like 99.9% of the world that I am unaware of. So I'm surrounded by corn and soy fields. I cannot say that I have seen rice being grown in the U.S. Does it get grown in the U.S. or where do you get rice husks from? Yeah, so actually Arkansas is the largest rice producing state and then California as well. The two rural communities that I'm looking at supporting with economic opportunity is is Appalachia, where we have a property in West Virginia. And then the other company is Sage Sierra, which is in the Sierra Nevada area in Nevada. And so California up in near Sacramento, there's actually a lot of rice farms as well and rice mills where they actually separate the, the husk from the rice. Yeah, I had absolutely no idea. And I got to be totally honest, until I moved to Ohio in 2004, I mean, I had lived in 
Western New York suburbs. Yes, there were cow farms, but I really had little exposure to farming. Then I moved to Chicago, <laughs> like downtown Chicago, no exposure. Then to New York City again, and then out here to Ohio. I had no idea the investment that farmers make into their equipment, mm. yeah. into the land, and then just learning about all, you know, seeds and all the just the political stuff that goes on mm-hmm. with, you know, where you buy your seeds from and if you're allowed to reuse, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just been a total eye open like I had no idea that they're spending quarter million dollars plus on whatever drivable piece of equipment that I don't still don't know the name of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I know I better watch out for because I don't have money to pay for it if I should hit it and it's on the street. You know? <laughs> but I had no idea. I mean that's Yeah. The husks themselves, I mean, because they're waste product, you know, not the part that are consumed, they're actually a problem. And in the past, they've been using it to create energy. So they burn the rice husks and to create energy. But now, because they're actually the burning of them causes, you know, a lot of smoke, you want to avoid doing that with environmental concerns. So the rice mills are actually looking to find something else to do with the husks. So I know in, in Asia, they're actually making products using the rice husks as kind of a plastic alternative that's biodegradable. That's the other thing that I'm really looking to try to promote. So I have these little coffee cups that I've gotten that were produced in China But the idea is once I can create a demand for them here in the United States, I really want to start working with the rice mills to try to use that process to create the plastic alternatives, the bioplastics. Now, for listeners who are curious and they have ideas like this, but different, obviously, Mm -hmm. what type, and this is a very nosy question, so please forgive me, does this require a lot of capital to be even considering doing this? Or how do you go about making this a reality? Yeah, so that's where where I am stuck a little bit. I'm, you know, been at it trying to get all the pieces put together. It will take capital. My hope is that I'm going to launch an Indiegogo campaign, so a crowdsourcing campaign for the capital in order to get enough, you know, to make it a, a mass-produced product. I haven't launched it yet because I wanted to put all the pieces together. But I'm still hopeful that it's going to be successful. Right now, I just have like I have a thousand cups. I think I have 500 bags that are made out of burlap that can also be reusable shopping bags. And then the other thing that I'm really looking to try to someday produce is plastic type bags that are made out of seaweed. I have all these ideas running through my mind, but I do need to be able to you know get the capital to to actually produce them in the U.S. But that's why something like the, you know, the Green New Deal or just any government efforts to invest in green technology or green products, uh, I think will be really helpful for entrepreneurs like me. Now, along that line, and I'm not trying to start a political debate with the community who's listening, but have you been experiencing any type of pushback as far as, or do you foresee any type of pushback? I mean, the political climate right now is pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to tell anybody what side I'm on because I honestly don't know. I vote for the one who I connect to the most. That's where I'll leave that. But what gets under my skin sometimes, and I'm just going to put it out there, is irony may not be the right word, 
perhaps there's a better word that you can help me with, of the FDA, whereas the Food and Drug Administration, Americans eat so much crap food. Let's mm-hmm. just put it that way. But the drug part, you know, we're being prescribed the drugs to help after we eat the bad mm-hmm. food. And it's almost like it's just more money for the government. And then there's the oil industry. And I feel like we've seen too much of if it's going to take tax money away from the government, why would we do like, why would we support it? Do you mm-hmm. see like any pushback potentially from the government for taking the initiative that you are, which by the way, I think is amazing. And I don't think that should even be a question. I don't think that we should be polluting our land so much that, you know, we have to figure out how we can get to Mars centuries earlier than we really should just because we've destroyed our planet. But mm-hmm. I can see where some people would be concerned politicians specifically about the money that other industries will be losing because we have found sustainable products Mm -hmm. to use instead. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I think the, the politicians have taken sides, but I think once they can see that there is a benefit to their communities by supporting, you know, smart investment in technologies or, or industries that can actually grow, whereas some of the you know, as much as we might want people who are have coal mining jobs to to be able to have their employment, if that's just not going to be coming back, and it isn't, I mean, I think we can not recognize arguing. that it's not, you know, it's just not going to be an industry that's going to grow significantly. We need to find industries where there is that upside, that potential to create new jobs. I think there may be some reluctance, but even, you know, places like West Virginia, places like Nevada, really looking to, you know, create jobs and good, you know, good paying jobs that can reemploy people who are losing their jobs in industries that are leaving. Yeah, and healthier jobs too. Yeah. My husband and I were actually just chatting a couple of days ago. We were talking about Mars because mm-hmm. it's always really fascinating to me to think about when it happens that mm. people start populating Mars. And we're, so we are talking about the ozone that needs to be, you know, created and now water needs to be created or moved up there. And I was thinking about, you know, if the water is here on our planet and taking it up there, what will that mean to Mars? And then also cooling down the temperature. What, what is that going to do when the core is cooled down? And, you know, now are there going to be all these earthquakes? But it took me into a whole nother thought process about we see all these hollywoodized is that a word if it's not (laughs) i just made it up where aliens come to our planet to get our resources Mm -hmm. right but what happens when we find that resource on another planet and according to my husband and i don't know if i quite agree because i don't know that all the research has been done yet but there could be life on mars i don't think that there's enough done so far to prove there isn't but I don't care who it is. Let's just say Trump or Clinton. And I know Clinton probably isn't running this time, but you know, (laughs) neither of them would like an alien dropping in on their house and taking (laughs) whatever resources that they have. But I wouldn't put it past us to go to another planet. And listeners, you know, I have never gotten this political before. So just bear with me for a second. (laughs) But it's just such an interesting topic to me because, you know, we're looking at all these other planets. And there will be that time when we find resources that will be beneficial for us here on Earth. But what respect do we have for the beings? I can't say people, but beings who are already on that planet and have already staked it. Because I know I don't want a spaceship coming down into my backyard and taking whatever I don't know that I have here. 
right? So I don't know where I was going with that, but I just wanted to share. (laughs) What are you most excited about in the next 90 days? So I'm actually looking at exploring with the state of California, you know, ways to maybe change some of the regulations to allow for uh, seaweed farming in California. I think in the past, the regulations that have been set up for ocean farming are really geared towards commercial fishing or commercial shellfish farms. And I think it's behind the times and, you know, in the, on the East coast, I don't know if uh, anybody's seen the 60 minutes episode where they, some of the fishermen who are not being able to sustain their incomes as commercial fishermen have actually started seaweed farms in Massachusetts, I believe. So it's something I think that's got some real potential in California. Um, and so I'm looking to, to explore that with uh, some of the, powers that be in California to see if that's a possibility. And actually there's, I've found other than the plastic bag alternatives as a use for seaweed, I've actually found that I know that there's concern about uh, how cows produce uh, methane gas just from their burping. (laughs) And I've actually found that there's a type of seaweed that they've been using in Australia that can actually reduce the methane emissions from from cattle by up to 90% if you add it to their feedstock. That's a really exciting idea for me and a project that I'm that I'm hoping to work on. I'm also excited about seeing where my uh, book will lead. I'm working with production company to adapt it into a screenplay for a feature film. And that's something that's that's really exciting to me as well. Awesome. Well, congratulations on that. Now, I want to ask, you mentioned that you have a bunch of cups and what was the other thing that you said? Bags as well? Out, out of hemp? Burlap bag. These were made out of burlap, but I, I was actually hoping to make them out of hemp. Now, are these already available that somebody, like any of the listeners could go and I'm intrigued by your cups. I want to, I want to get one. Yeah, I'm going to make some of them available on Amazon because I already have them, but I'm hoping to use them as the giveaways for my Indiegogo campaign as well. Mm, Love it. Great idea. Well, DJ, where can listeners find you online, connect and get to know more about you and and support you in all your awesome causes? So the website is Equity Insights. That's E-Q-U-I-T-Y-I-N-C-I-T-E-S dot com. Uh, so that's my umbrella company. I also have the subsidiary companies of Adaptive Appalachia and then Sage Sierra. I haven't set up those websites yet, so I'm still working on that. And the book itself, the memoir about my spiritual journey with my spirit guide and my life with my wife, who's lived with an AIDS diagnosis since 1986, is available on Amazon. Um, it's First Mistake. Facing death, finding life. Thank you so much, listeners. If you are driving, if you are trying not to burn dinner, (laughs) you can go to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP593 and find all the links, show notes, transcription, and all the good stuff right there. DJ, I want to thank you so much for joining. You actually have me really excited. This is the work that you are doing isn't my zone of genius, but I'm so inspired by what you are doing. So I want to thank you. And on behalf of my kids, my grandkids and any future generations to come, I just want to thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. You are so welcome. Do you have a piece of parting advice or a golden nugget that you could share with listeners? 
Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it, it really is to embrace your mistakes. I think people have always told me what to do and, and that, uh, you know, some of the decisions I've made are mistakes in life. I've actually found that if you embrace them and, and use them as an opportunity for learning, you'll always find that you're exactly where you're meant to be. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.